Armageddon is the climax of the tribulation, the event that cataclysmically ends the rule of evil on earth, evil from man and from supernatural evil entities. Armageddon is such a well-documented event that it's become a pop culture term. And anytime something becomes a part of pop culture and our secular culture, it, all, it often has a mix of myth and truth. And we're going to look at some of these myths and distinguish them from the truth in this week's episode of Revelation Unveiled on Faith by Reason. Welcome to Faith by Reason. The website behind it all is faithbyreason.net. There you will find hundreds of hours of study material, blogs, podcasts, and video. And we are continuing our study of the book of Revelation, and we are really just about at the end, as I said in the, in the introduction, the end of the tribulation. This is the last event of that seven-year period. In the last episode, we looked at the wrath of God. God finally and quickly pouring out his wrath onto the world, onto spiritual evil and any mortal evil that clings to them and becomes a part of their world. He's poured out his wrath upon them. It's devastated the entire world. And the last act of the entity we called the Antichrist, the beast, was to gather his forces in a place called Armageddon. And in the next episode, we're going to do a verse by verse look at the Armageddon scenario in Revelation chapter 19. But before we do, when we get to, whenever we get to a, a, a major event, a uh, major part of this study that has huge implications, before we um, dive into the verses, we'd like to do an introduction or some type of list like this, where we just kind of get rid of some of our, our preconceived notions so that we can look at the truth of what scripture actually says. So this will hopefully be a shorter episode for a couple of reasons. Number one, the last several episodes have been pretty long and also it's been a pretty long break between episodes and I apologize for that. Just a lot going on in my world. And, but I want to dive in and talk about, oh, I think we have eight myths about Armageddon that we're going to address. And then again, in the next episode, we'll get into the um, actual Armageddon scenario, which will encompass not just Revelation chapter 19, but also need to go into the Old Testament and some other and some areas of the New Testament be, to get a full picture of what's happening in Armageddon. Because like most things in the Bible, it's not just in one place. God, the Holy Spirit, sprinkles um, details of these major events all through the Bible so that we can never... So if, if someone disputes one area, well, you know, there's other areas where you can go in and say, hey, this is this still shows this event still happening. So it'll be really fascinating. But let's start now by looking at these um, these myths. Let's start with myth number one. Myth number one is that Armageddon is the end of the world. Very, very popular myth. Whenever you talk to someone about um, Armageddon, uh, you see, or if you see it in any type of, again, pop culture areas and books and TVs and movies, it's always the end, this cataclysmic event that just destroys everything. It's the final thing that happens and then it's all over. It's the end of the world. It's the destruction of the world. But that's not true for a couple reasons, because <laughs> the book of Revelation does not end with chapter 19. There are actually uh, there are three more, um, there are three more chapters. So there's things that happen after Armageddon, meaning that Armageddon is not the end of the story and is not the end of the world. The world is going to continue on for at least another 1,000 years, and that 1,000 years is what's called the millennium. And I know the millennium is, is a controversial term. We talked about it way, way back during the introductory uh, videos, introductory podcasts of, of this um, of this study of Revelation. And 
you know, there are, and we'll get into this more when we actually get to the, uh, to the millennium, but there are folks who don't believe that there's a thousand year millennium, which honestly it boggles my mind how anyone could objectively say that there is no literal thousand year period called the millennium because the Bible very clearly says that, ap- that these things that the, the, the um, Armageddon has followed immediately by a thousand years. It does it, it, it doesn't even mince words. It's not cryptic. It literally says a thousand years happens. And then it talks about things that happen after this thousand years. So it, it's very clear that this is a literal thousand years. Again, there are folks who will try to allegorize it. They'll say, well, it's not really a literal thousand years. It just means a really long time, except you can't get that from the Bible. You get it from your own agenda. And there are people, people who I respect, like uh, Dr. Michael Heiser, who I've mentioned many times because I, I respect him a great deal. He's opened my eyes to a lot of, of what goes on in the supernatural world. However, he is one of those who does not subscribe to a literal thousand years. And I think it's mostly because he's not really into prophecy. That's, that's one of his least favorite things, apparently. Nevertheless, it, it, it's there. I mean, and you have to seriously have an agenda against it to disbelieve it. We know, for example, the, the Catholic Church doesn't believe in it and it's and they have an agenda and their agenda is that they, they don't like the idea that Christ is going to come back and overthrow the evil rulers of the world. And since they're one of the evil rulers, they it, that's not very palatable to them. And then there are other there are even uh, mainstream uh, denominational so-called Protestant churches that don't teach the millennium. And that and it, that gets to a subtle anti-Semitism because the millennium is all about the um, the promise that God made to Abraham, that his physical descendants, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish people, would rule the world alongside Jesus for a thousand years. And there's a subtle anti-Semitism there that they don't like the idea that Jews are going to rule the world. But the problem is, if that doesn't happen, then God's a liar. God broke his promise to Abraham. Jesus himself was asked on multiple occasions by his disciples, who were Jews, who all who believed in this thousand-year period, this, this millennial rule, they would say, hey, Jesus, are, are you going to come and come in and claim the kingdom? And Jesus could have said, if, if, if the millennium wasn't true, Jesus could have just come right out and said, hey, you know, guys, you got it wrong. It's not really a literal thousand years. It just means I'll be ruling in your heart, which is what a lot of Protestant denominations say that and, and even the Catholics that the, the millennial rule that is talked about here is Jesus ruling in our hearts. And it's an indeterminate period of time. Jesus could have said that, but he didn't. Instead, he just said, no, I'm not going to do it yet, meaning that he's going to do it and he's going to have this rule um that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants. So he's going to do it at some point. And if he's not going to do it, if it really is allegorical, then again, Jesus misled his disciples. So if there's no millennium, then God's a liar. Jesus is a liar. And they're both promise breakers. And if that's the case, why do we bother even worshiping them? So there will be a literal millennium, a thousand years that will happen. So Armageddon is not the end of the world. It's the end of the tribulation, not the end of the world. And I, again, I've, I've Going a little bit off topic, and I'm, I'm in danger of breaking my promise of making this a shorter podcast because they went on that rant. And we'll talk about it again when we get to the millennium a few episodes from now. Okay, myth number two, that um, Armageddon is the name of the event. It's not. Armageddon is not an event. We see in the in the previous chapter, in in, um, in, uh, in, in chapter, or not the previous chapter, I'm sorry, at the end of in chapter 16, which was our previous episode, where... Um, the I think this is after the, um, the 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 fifth seal is is broken. I'm sorry, the sixth seal that um, these unclean spirits come out 
like frogs come out of the mouth of the false prophet and of the beast, the Antichrist, and of Satan. And they go, they work signs and tell people to gather to a place called Armageddon. So Armageddon is not the name of the event. It's the name of the place where people are gathering, where the Antichrist uh, has Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan have all their minions, supernatural and physical, people taking the mark of the beast as well as the demons and fallen angels, they all gather together in this place. So it's a gathering place. It's not the name of an event. It's the name of a, of a place. What is that place? Well, let's go to the next myth. Um, myth number three is that the that Armageddon is the Valley of Megiddo. Very, very, very popular idea. In fact, if you ask nine out of ten people in eschatology, which is a study of end times, be they lay persons or ministers or teachers, they will tell you that um, Armageddon is the Valley of Megiddo. The Valley of Megiddo is in central um, central Israel. We'll have a, a photo of it on the screen. It is a very wide valley, very flat valley, and it will be, uh, you know, actually, if there's a battle, that's kind of where you want to have it. In fact, Napoleon, the uh, the famous French general and leader, uh, when he saw it, he called the Valley of Megiddo one of the best natural battlefields he's ever seen. Why? Because there's as, as it's a valley, it has mountains on either side, so armies can't escape. They're in a an enclosed place. It's a flat plain, so the so the terrain is flat, meaning you don't have to go up hills or anything like that. It's it's you know it's it's kind of like a football field if you think about it, and it's a place where you it would be a natural place to have a battle, and and because of that, and because they sound similar, Armageddon and Megiddo. That has led folks to believe that that is the where the where Armageddon will take place. That this is a valley. There's one huge problem with that, and that is the nomenclature is not Valley of Megiddo. It's Har Megiddo. It means the mountain of Megiddo. So it's not the Valley of Megiddo. What is it actually? Well, that gets us to myth to the next myth, and that myth is that. Armageddon is a valley at all. It actually is not a valley. Har Megiddo means the mountain of Megiddo. Har in Hebrew. And again, John, the, the prophet John, who, I'm sorry, not prophet, the apostle John, who is writing uh, this, he calls it, the, he, he says that, that the, they gather together in a place in the Hebrew called Harmageddon. It's Armageddon in Greek, which the language he was writing in, but in in Hebrew, it is Har Megiddo. Har, H-A-R, that prefix means mountain. Har Megiddo means mountain of Megiddo. So it's not a valley, it's a mountain. There's no mistaking that. You can't confuse the two. Why? Because the mountain is, a mountain is the opposite of a valley. A valley is a, is, is, is a plot of land where the sides are high and the middle is, is low and flat. That's the opposite of a mountain. A mountain is where, you know, the top is high and the side and it goes down. So a mountain goes in the opposite direction of a valley. A valley is wide on the bottom and and and, and tall on the top. But a mountain is the other way. A mountain is, is is tall at a peak on the top and it widens out flat at the bottom. So mountains and valleys are the opposite. They can't be the same thing. And so and the other thing to keep in mind is that when you look at the actual language, Harmageddon is is still not the exact correct interpretation, translation rather. It should actually say Harmoed. And this is some work that I've discovered recently by some uh, folks who've done a lot of research into this. Harmageddon is still mixing Greek with Hebrew. Har, yes, that is Hebrew, but Megiddo is still Greek. 
if you get if, in pure Hebrew, it should say Har Moed, the mountain of Moed. Why is that important? Because if it's Har Megiddo, then it, it really puts it still in the area of Megiddo. Maybe it's not a the valley of Megiddo. Maybe it's a mountain in Megiddo, but which again is in is in north central um, Israel. However, if it's Har Moed, which is the proper translation, it takes it completely out of the Megiddo area. Har Moed is actually a completely different mountain. And we're going to talk about that in just a second down the, down the road a bit in a couple myths. But just keep that in mind. This is a mountain called Mount Moed. All right. The next um, myth is that Armageddon is a battle. Um, no, it's not. There's no battle of Armageddon. That is a Christianese term. That is something that we call there. You will not see in the Bible anything. You will never see the word battle of Armageddon in the Bible, not as part of the actual scripture. That is, again, a, a euphemism of Christian pop culture. There is no battle. When the Armageddon scenario occurs, in, which, um, which uh, coincides with the second coming of Jesus, there's not a fight. There is there's an old joke about, you know, that you know, we had a fight and there were two hits. I hit him and he hit the ground. That's really what Armageddon is going to be. Armageddon is Jesus is going, Jesus is not getting into a, some knockdown drag out battle. He's going to see, basically Jesus speaks words and the armies of Satan are destroyed. And that brings us to the next myth. The myth that Armageddon is a battle of the armies of heaven versus the armies of Satan. And the reason people believe that is because it says very clearly, and we'll see it in the next episode, that Jesus comes down on, in the second coming, he's riding on a white horse, and the armies of heaven are with him. He is surrounded by an innumerable army of, 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 of folks. We'll talk about who they, who they might be. But he's with an army, so you think, oh, it's, it's a big army clash. It's not. Honestly, I don't really know what the other people, be they saints or they call the you know, saints or the holy ones, I think they're just there to witness things. They don't fight. There is no battle. Jesus speaks words and the armies of Satan are simply destroyed. Done. That's the end of it. There is no battle. There is a spoken word and everybody on the, on the uh, bad guy's eye die gruesomely. So there we go. All right. Next myth. And that next myth is that the Armageddon coincides with the third rapture or the post-tribulation rapture. Nope, not, not, not really, not exactly. Now, again, there, I believe in the post-tribulation rapture. I also get, believe in the mid-tribulation rapture and the pre-tribulation rapture. We've talked about this ad nauseum. You can go to faithbyreason.net, go to the uh, right navigation area, and you will see the, turn, the category for the rapture. Go there, and I explain why all three raptures are correct, because they're all in, all three are in the Bible. We just, people tend to just choose the one they like the best, and, and then ignore or disparage those who believe the other ones, which is silly and borderline blasphemous because basically you're saying that, you know, the Bible's wrong because, you know, you're ignoring the Bible saying it's wrong in the areas that disagree with you. And you should never let your theology def uh, define the Bible. The Bible should define your theology. And if your theology does not match up with the Bible, then you should dump your theology because your theology is wrong. And the idea that there's only one uh, in times rapture goes against the Bible because the Bible clearly speaks of all three raptures, meaning that there are three raptures. And the third one is the post-tribulation rapture, but it, but is it the same, does it coincide with Armageddon? No, actually, because that third rapture, Jesus talks about it in Matthew 24. He, Jesus says he gathers together his elect, which in this case means the Jews, 
This third rapture was intended for any Jews who were left on earth at this time. He gathers them together, but he doesn't take them to heaven. He does not say he gathers them to heaven. He gathers them together in a place. What place? We find in Revelation chapter 12 that they are hidden away so that Satan cannot, Satan and the Antichrist and his armies cannot harm them. And they're, they're put in Basra, which is in modern day Jordan. And my opinion, and shared by a lot of other scholars, is that this area is the area called Petra, which we've seen, I have it on the screen here. Um, this area is very difficult to get to. And if you have people gathered there, it, it, it only has, it has a very narrow entrance. So armies would be, would be very hard pressed to, to effectively get in there and, and take them out. So that rapture happens before the Armageddon scenario. I don't know how long before, but I think shortly before that. So this third rapture, the post-tribulation rapture happens before Armageddon. It does not coincide with it. All right. Next myth is that Armageddon is Satan and his army versus Israel. He's trying to wipe out the remnants of the Jews. Okay. This is kind of a mix of truth and false in this, in this, in this myth. It's actually a little bit of yes and no. I believe it, it may start out with the idea that Satan's going to wipe out the Jews. Why? Because Satan knows that one of the requirements for the return of Jesus is that Israel, the Jews, call for him, that they finally admit or acknowledge that they've been wrong for 2000 years and that Jesus was their Messiah who came in the first century and they repent and they call for him. And then three days later, he returns. We talked about that in the past. I will talk about it more um, in the next episode. So, but of course, if there are no Jews left, we talk about this a bit in, in, in Revelation chapter 12, if there are no Jews alive, then there's no one to call for Jesus and he can't return. So Satan wants to wipe out the Jews. And I, I believe it might start out that way. He might be bringing his army to wipe them out. But I think that's around the time they get raptured away. And then Satan knows that he's out of, he's out of options. Once the, the Jewish people are, are raptured away, once Jesus gathers his elect, as he said in Matthew 24 and, and hides them away, Satan is like, I've got, you know, now I'm out of luck. What am I going to do now? And so that's when the Armageddon scenario happens. And that's bring, that brings us to our next myth. And that brings us back to Harmoed. And so the next myth is that, um, excuse me, that the final, the next myth is that Armageddon or the Armageddon scenario has never happened before. Actually, it has. This same scenario happened before, way, way back in the past, back in the book of Genesis. The same thing that happened in Genesis, I believe it's chapters 10 and 11, happens now. What happens in that in that area in Genesis? The Tower of Babel. Wait a minute. What does the Tower of Babel have to do with Armageddon? I'm glad you asked. It, let, let me take a step back and really explain what's happening here. It goes back to Harmoed. Where is Har Moed? Where is the mountain of Moed? The mountain of Moed, where they are gathering, is actually the mountain of assembly. God's mountain of assembly. It's where God held court during the time of Eden, before the fall. You see, mountains in, in, in the supernatural sense are areas where heaven and earth intersect, where the veil is thin, where entities from the spiritual realm or the Elohim realm can come into the physical realm or the earthly realm and vice versa. The We know that Eden was on a mountain. Eden was a garden on top of a mountain. We find this out in Ezekiel chapter 28 when, um, when, when God is giving his lamentation against Satan. And he says, you were in Eden, the mountain of God. 
it Eden was a mountain. I'm sorry, Eden was a garden on top of a mountain. That's why I mean, that's why it, I don't believe it was in Mesopotamia. There's no mountain there. The mountain, mountain of God, mountain of assembly, is physically in Israel, in right outside of Jerusalem. It is Mount Moriah. It is the same mountain where Abraham was was ordered to sacrifice Isaac. It's also the same mountain that is called in the New Testament Golgotha. It's where Jesus was crucified. Golgotha is Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is the mountain of assembly, which means to me that Eden was actually in Israel. But that's that's a whole other thing we'll talk about. That. I think we'll, we'll talk about that in our series on Genesis, which we'll we'll do after we're done with the Revelation. So Har Moed is that mountain outside of Israel, the mountain of assembly, God's holy mountain, where God held court. Because remember, before the fall of man, Adam and Eve, they communed with God. God walked with them every day. And they were part of, 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 of God's holy count, his divine counsel. And that gets into a lot of what uh, Dr. Michael Heiser talks about. Adam and Eve were, were human representatives for the for the that, that council of, of, of God and along with the angelic beings. So this is where they are are is this is where the armies are gathering. They're gathering at the mountain of God. Why? This is where Babel comes in. What was the point of Babel? Babel was where the um the people of earth, who were of one language at this time after the flood, gathered to build a a tower to reach into heaven to the heavens not because they thought heaven was in was in the sky that's ridiculous they were building their own artificial mountain because again mountains are places where heaven and earth intersect and so of course they weren't building it in the area currently known as babel which is in southern iraq why because it's it's actually a low level it's below sea level area where Babel was built. So if you're trying to build a tower to reach to the heaven because you thought heavens because you thought they were in the sky, why why on earth would you start your building in a valley in a low area that's below sea level? Of course, that would make no sense. If you want if you really wanted to make it about height, you'd start it on a plateau or something. It would make no sense for them to do that if it was about height. It was not about height. It was about building this an artificial mountain which would again intersect it would you know there are certain areas on earth where you know the again the veil between or the barrier between heaven, heaven and earth is thin, and where they were building the Tower of Babel was one of these areas. So they were building their own mountain, um, where where again heaven and earth would intersect. Why? Because they were going to invade heaven. That is what Babel was all about. They were not there to build a big old building for its own sake. They were there to build it because they wanted to enter heaven. They wanted to get to the heavenly realm with outside of God's plan. God had a plan for human beings into the heavenly realm and it's called salvation. No, but in their arrogance and under their dictator Nimrod, they say, nope, we are going to gather together with all what we've learned from the fallen angels from you know Genesis chapter six and, and, and um, the books of Enoch. We're going to take this knowledge and we're going to build our own holy mountain and we will enter heaven that we're going to invade heaven. What does it have to do with Armageddon? The same thing is happening. Why are they going to Har Moed? Why are they going to the mountain of assembly to invade heaven? That's and that it makes sense now because if you think about what we talked about before about the identity of the Antichrist after the after the first three and a half years, I've said vividly, directly that he will be the Antichrist's body will be inhabited by the spirit of Nimrod. Again, 
Nimrod. What did Nimrod do? Nimrod's signature move was Babel. He's going to do it again. That's what he's doing at Armageddon. He is once again trying to invade heaven. There, this idea that these armies are gathered to fight against Jesus with, you know, bullets and missiles is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. That's not why they're there. They're not there because they think they can, you know, shoot Jesus with bullets or shoot the heavenly entities with, with, with bullets and missiles and, and whatever other military arsenal, the human military arsenal. Of course not. They are there to do the same thing that Nimrod wanted to do in Babel. And now that he's embodying the Antichrist, he is doing his same thing. He is trying to invade heaven. This is what they're trying to do. They know the earth is destroyed. And so they are making their last stand at the Mount of Assembly, at God's holy mountain, to make an invasion. And as with Babel, remember what God said in Babel. He said, man is of one mind, of one language, and there is nothing that he's planning to do that he won't be able to accomplish. Basically, God said that they would have succeeded at Babel if God didn't intervene. And it's the same thing here with Armageddon. They're going to try to invade heaven, and they would succeed except once again, God, through Jesus, will intervene. And so let's, that takes us to the last myth. And the last myth is that when Jesus returns for Armageddon, he is going, he's only going to return to one spot. Not true. It does say that Jesus is going to return um, and he's going to speak a word. He's going to destroy all the armies very quickly. You know, God does not mess around when it comes to dealing with his enemies. He doesn't, it's not going to be any prolonged battle like you see in like Lord of the Rings and any other of your favorite uh, mythological movies, which, you know, are Game of Thrones or those big battles, just spectacular and like really dramatic. But God just, Jesus just speaks a word and they're all gone. But his first stop, actually, I don't know if it's first or second, so I'm still going back and forth about that. But he is not just, he's going to come down in Jerusalem. He's going to, it says he set. We see the Bible, he set his feet on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives, which again is right outside of uh, Jerusalem, is going to split in half. And that's going to be amazing. But it also says that he's going to come from Basra. So I think currently that Jesus, first off, first he's going to, he's going to, in midair, speak the word and destroy Satan's armies. Then I think he's going to go to Basra. Why? Because that's where the Jews are. That's where he has gathered them together in that in that uh, post-tribulation rapture. And we're going to see in the next episode where it talks about how he does do battle. There's some kind of physical battle that happens there because when Jesus comes from Basra to, I believe, to Jerusalem, his garments are soaked in blood. Not his blood. His blood's been shed already. He's soaked in the blood of his enemies. So when he comes down... Uh, the, you know, which we'll see in, in the next in the next episode in, in uh, Revelation chapter 19, he's wearing a white garment when he's coming down on riding on the horse. Then he goes to Basra and it says that his blood, his, his garment is in splattered with blood. And then he comes to Jerusalem. So he's going to go there. He's going to stomp on it. He's going to trample down his enemies. I don't know what that looks like. if He's going to physically stomp on them. But it says he's going to trample his enemies of people because it looks like this armies of Satan are going to be split. Um, between the gathering at Har Moed and also going to Basra to try to wipe out the Jews, uh, who I believe will be at Petra. And Jesus wipes them out. He's, he tramples on them in his anger and their blood stains his white robes. And then uh, then I believe he goes to Mount of Olives and he splits the mountain in, in two. And then he uh, judges Satan and throws him in the pit, which again, we'll talk about in the next episode. But, okay, 
that those are the myths that I wanted to talk about for Armageddon. And we're going to get into detail um, about that in the next episode where we will go into Revelation chapter 19. We'll also visit some other areas in the Old Testament and in the New Testament to give you the full picture of what really happens in the Armageddon scenario. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be the end. And it is going to be a happy climax to what's been going on in the world because after after this, there is no more rule of evil in the world. It's going to be Jesus ruling forever. So that's that. And it's going to be, again, um, a, a wonderful, well, gruesome, but wonderful episode. All right. Uh, thank you for listening I and watching. I appreciate it. Please subscribe to Faith by Reason on whatever um, whatever platform you're, you're, you're seeing this on, be it YouTube or any other platform. Also, please, uh, you can use the subscribe uh, buttons there. You can also subscribe to faithbyreason.net by going to, to faithbyreason by going to faithbyreason.net and putting your email into the right navigation area, and you will get these episodes as soon as they are published. And we will talk to you next time when we go to the, we discuss the climax of the tribulation, the Armageddon scenario, and exactly what happens. 